guys. Hey, welcome to The Electables. We are just a few days from the Iowa caucus. I've got Doug Thornell here with me today. He always calls me my partner in crime, so I'll call him my partner in crime. This is Adrian Elrod, and Doug is joining us from an undisclosed location on the phone. Unfortunately, he's not here with us today, but anyway, we've got two amazing guests, the most perfect people you could even possibly ask for. Um, on a podcast right before the first caucus in the nation, the Iowa caucuses, which are taking place uh, this coming Monday. Uh, We've got Patrice Taylor, who runs all of the... I mean, Patrice, tell us, give us the nutshell of all the stuff you do at the DNT. Like, it's a lot of stuff. Think anything institutional. So all of the institutional business of the party Mm -hmm. falls under the party affairs office, which I have been able to run for a little while now. Yeah, you've got, you know, the stuff inward and outward. And then, of course, we have Sochi Hinojosa, who is a regular on our podcast. We're so happy to have Sochi back, DNC Communications Director. Hi, Sochi. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Is everybody rested? Has everybody had like a long vacation recently? <laughs> no, we're just gearing up with our like snow boots going to Iowa. 10 hours, I was going to say, 10 <laughs> hours of sleep a night, you know, getting all rested. Just kidding. I know this mm-hmm. is like... Really, where every all the wheels, all the hard work you guys have been putting into place, and all the wheels um, in, kicking into motion are about to happen. So, I want to just start off by talking about what do we, what's to expect on Monday. Patrice, can you sort of walk us through to somebody who is not going to be in Iowa, an observant viewer of the uh, first caucus in the nation? Somebody's maybe watching it on TV. Tell us what Monday looks like. Like, when does everything start? And then also sort of walk us through the caucus process. If you were sure. actually caucusing in Iowa on Monday, what would you be doing and when? Sure. Before I get to Iowa, I just want to walk a little bit through kind of how we get to Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, the DNC um, is the only party committee which is tasked with determining how our party de- chooses our presidential and vice presidential nominees. It's something that we work for uh, over the course of four years, and it is something that we are excited to kick off with Iowa um, in a few days. And um, we've, we've, we really, every four years, take a look at the things that you know we can improve upon, make improvements, and the things that we do well and strengthen those those items, and we kick off our process in Iowa with the caucuses. So um, on Monday in Iowa, uh, voters will come together in, at the precinct level at 7 p.m. Central Time, and they will gather together with their neighbors, and um, they will um, take presidential preference or express who which candidate they want to see uh, be our presidential nominee. And um, we are excited because for this cycle, um, in Iowa and in all of our caucus states, we've made some really good reforms to make the process more open mm-hmm. and transparent. So um, every caucus state has to provide for an absentee mechanism for those who can't participate in person. Iowa is doing that by having what they call satellite caucuses. So there are um, between 80 and 90 sites inside the state of Iowa, mm-hmm. inside, outside of the state. Which in the is U- amazing. It is. What's the most extreme example of a satellite caucus? So we or extreme location. I should say we understand that there are caucus sites in Tbilisi, Georgia, and Paris, which I'm happy to go staff if the (laughs) folks in Iowa (laughs) need someone to go and and run the caucus process there. But it really is an opportunity for someone who can't show up in their precinct 
to be able to participate. I was actually in Iowa almost two weeks ago with a woman who had to be in D.C. for work on um, uh, Monday. She was prepared to buy two one-way tickets so she could get back to Iowa to caucus and come back to D.C. to participate. But now she doesn't have to do that because there is the satellite site in D.C. So we really are excited about this expanded participation. So whether you are at a satellite caucus in Tbilisi, Georgia, D.C., or in Des Moines, um, you will come together um, 7 p.m. Central Time. There are some caucus sites that are going to be a little bit before, a little bit after, but generally speaking, that's uh, when um, those sites, uh, the caucuses will begin. And uh, you'll do some introductory business, meaning that you'll elect a permanent chair of the to conduct the caucus business. Mm-hmm. But pretty quickly, you'll get to um, uh, expressing your presidential preference. And um, for this cycle, a change is that uh, Iowa will be using what they call preference cards. And voters will not only be able to express the candidate they're supporting just by, you know, showing of their hands and, you know, people uh, cheering for the various candidates inside the room. They'll also fill out a card. So we have a paper trail of how everyone voted. We hope that that will make caucusing easier because if there are inconsistencies with counting or if there are questions about results, we can always go back to that paper trail and verify. So we are very excited. That is a new reform that we have in place that we didn't have before. And and is that different because there were not caucus cards in 2016? That's correct. We learned after 16 that in every caucus state, that there was no, not necessarily a paper trail of the voting. Mm. And um, that was one of the things that we wanted to reform and make sure that uh, there is a, tr- a, a, a process by which campaigns can request a recount if necessary, but also that we have this ability to go back if there are any questions about results. We can go back to the actual paper. That's great. Hey, Pat- hey Patrice, uh, first of all, I... Um, Patrice is the heart and soul of the DNC. Uh, you know, I spent, uh, I did a tour of duty over there in 2016, and she is really in the middle of everything um, and is a calming force over there. And uh, it's great to have you on the electables. Doug, thank um, you for having me. We, we had some fun times when you were here. Yeah, we did. We did have some fun times. Um, so take us, uh, let's go high level here. Um, what, total number of delegates, uh, and then can you go through for our listeners the difference between pledged delegates and superdelegates? That was a reform that was made after 2016. Uh, I'd love to hear, you know, sort of you guys hear from you on, on that. Um, uh, and then, I, and then I, I've got a follow-up, too, uh, on just how they're allocated. Sure. So um, to go through the numbers – Our rules, uh, we start with the base number of delegates that are allocated to every state in proportion to Democratic population and a population and Democratic performance. So, you know, our larger states have more delegates than our smaller states, but the total number of delegates that will be um, pledged for the national convention, the number is 3979. Of that 3979, the overwhelming majority of those that number is allocated to the district level. And this is an important distinction as, as your viewers kind of look at how to unpack the numbers and what they see in the results in these uh, contests coming up. 75% of that 39.79 is allocated to the states. The states have to then kind of allocate it to the, each congressional district level or smaller. There's some states that use a smaller unit. Texas is an example. They use their Senate districts. So the candidates are not only 
looking at how they fare statewide, they you really have to kind of look at how each campaign does in each and every congressional district because the math is how you get our nomination. The, the, the candidate that gets a majority of delegates eligible to vote on that ballot, pledge delegates, majority of 3979, that's how you get the nomination. And so you really have to look at how candidates are doing at the very local level. And our process is structured this way because the district level reflects voters' preferences in each of the congressional districts. It's the most, it's the closest to the grassroots. And ultimately, our party is, and our process is that you are, we are picking our nominee based on how the grassroots voters and how the voters in each and every state um, are expressing themselves. So 3979, 1991 is the magic number. Those are that's the number that the campaigns probably have on a lot of boards in their campaign offices because that's the number that they need to get. 19, I'm sorry, 1991. Um, pledge delegates, you got the nomination. So, G, you and I have talked a lot about um, you know how how much weight is put in the media and and frankly, you know, by I would say voters and caucus goers too. In the first four states, you know, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, even though, of course, proportionally to the rest of the states, they only represent collectively in terms of delegates about 5% of the overall delegate count. Can you sort of talk through, like, why do you think that is? Why do you think that there is so much focus and weight on four states that ultimately only represent 5% of the outcome of the actual delegates? Absolutely. So we talk about it, and the media, frankly, talks about it in terms of there are two sort of paths. There's momentum. A candidate can have momentum going into Super Tuesday in some of these delegate-rich states. And then there's delegates, how you actually win the nomination. And a lot of people believe, and as, as you've gone back in history, that if you can get some momentum, if you can raise some money, if you can win um, these first four in the, these first four early states, then hopefully that can parachute you into Super Tuesday. And so I think that's why you see a lot of candidates right now putting their resources in the first four early states. But the reality is, is that if you want the nomination, you also have to have a ground game in Super Tuesday states in. April, they call the Acela primary, which is that last Tuesday in April, which mm-hmm. is the lar- a delegate-rich date, I believe it's April 28th, that New York and Pennsylvania and a bunch of the Northeast states um, go at that time. And you have to have an infrastructure more than just in Iowa or the first four early states if you want to win, especially because 5% of the delegates come out of the first four first states. And then once you're at Super Tuesday – the day after Super Tuesday, when we wake up, it looks like it's closer to 40% of the delegates would have been allocated at that point. So, And then once you hit the end of April, that's about 90% of the delegates. So it is going to be a sprint for the next three months. But the reason that these states are so important, the first four, is mostly because of momentum. Right, right. By, um, yeah, and that's a great point, Sochi. I mean, it, you know, I, in my book, I think, you know, I'm looking at March 17th as the uh, in, in those um, contests as being the point in which when we're going to really have a pretty good idea who the nominee is, uh, unless it is, um, you know, unless it's like super close. Um, 
But by then, 60, I think 61% of the delegates will be allocated after March 17th. That, that, that's um, right, Doug. And just to put a finer point on the numbers, um, after April 28th, as Sochi pointed out, 90% of the delegates will have been allocated. And after yeah. that point, the most delegate-rich state that will take contest that will take place is New Jersey. And there are 126 delegates in New Jersey. So if you see a campaign that has, you know, a significant number of, of delegates more than, you know, the next highest delegate vote getter, it's going to be pretty hard to make that difference up because after we get through April 28th, there are not that many delegate rich states left um, in the calendar. Right. Quick question. So what are you guys prepared for a contested convention? You took the words out of my mouth, Thornell. <laughs> I was just going there. <laughs> well, one of the things that I will point you to, and both of you probably know this very well because you've both been involved in campaigns over cycles, is there's always talk about a contested convention. And I'm looking at Adrian here because in 2008, <laughs> everyone thought that there was going to be a contested convention. Yep. Everyone thought that this – if you go back – and I love to do this game where if a certain outlet calls me about a contested convention, I just look up their article about a contested convention in 2008 and again in 2016 and send that to them mm-hmm. as my response. Um, but there has there's never been one. And the reason why I think it is not realistic is because what we know about our party and especially I would say probably even more than in 2016 is there is a hunger to beat Donald Trump. People are motivated to beat Donald Trump and they are going to support whoever our nominee is and they will be united around that person. Do I think, is it going to be a close race all the way through? Absolutely. But when it comes to the convention, you know, you're talking about a pretty big gap between, as Patrice said, those last delegate rich states at the end of April and the second week of July when we have our convention. And that is time for our party to unite around our nominee, whoever that is. So I'm confident that we will not have one. Um, there hasn't been one. 52, I think, is the last time we had a truly contested convention. Yeah, I, and, and we do not believe that that will happen come July. And on that note, Patrice, can you sort of talk about the reforms that Tom Perez or Sochi jump in here too? The Chairman Perez has made to the delegate process to make sure that it is fair, more transparent, and that superdelegates are not involved in the first round of voting. Can you just sort of talk through that? Sure, absolutely. So um, one of the things that we uh, worked through for almost two years was around automatic delegates or superdelegates and the role that they would play. And um, part of the reforms that were made was a reform to their role in this process, recognizing that our Democratic governors and members of Congress are an important piece to our Democratic family and that they need to be involved in the convention process, but recognizing that we wanted to ensure that our presidential and vice presidential nominees were determined based off of the votes in every state. Uh, The automatic delegates will only be permitted to vote on the first ballot if a uh, presidential candidate has roughly 60% of the pledge delegate Mm -hmm. votes. So essentially, if no candidate gets 60% of the pledge delegate votes, only 
pledge delegates themselves will vote on the first ballot. And you could still have a, uh, a determine a nominee based on the pledge delegate vote because our rules provide that you get the nomination by getting a majority of delegates eligible to vote on that ballot. Mm-hmm. If we go to a second ballot, then automatic delegates will be permitted to vote under these new reforms. Um, automatic delegates will be able to vote on all other convention matters. So they do have a role in our party's process, but we wanted to emphasize that the uh, nominees were determined based on the pledge delegate votes. Um, so that is why, you know, it goes back to the point of paying attention to how candidates fare at the very local level, because that will give you some insight as to how many delegates campaigns are going to get and how close, you know, the front runner or the presumptive nominee will get to that magic number before the convention. Okay, great. Hey, Patrice, can you take us through just in terms of Iowa, we can use Iowa as the test case, but so they, you talked a little bit about the process, what people are going to do on, on, um, uh, on Monday, but what happens after Monday? Like the del- there's still, because you, we, you nominate delegates to the state convention, right? And then the, there's like a process that occurs following the actual caucus that, um, it, that still relates to how, you know, delegates are, um, determined, right? Well, we actually made a reform to that end. One of the reforms that we made regarding caucuses is that caucus uh, national convention delegates have to be allocated based on the preferences at the very first step. What you are thinking about is what happened in past cycles where you're absolutely right. The you know voters would turn out on caucus night and the press would report how each candidate fared. But in reality, delegates were elected to subsequent levels. And depending on the state, it may be weeks or even months after that first step that national convention delegates were allocated based on the preferences at a subsequent step. We have eliminated that. We thought that that was confusing, not necessarily transparent. It would require voters to continue to turn out. We want voters to continue to turn out, but we want it to be clear that the presidential preference of the national convention delegates were locked based on that first step. So in Iowa, yes, there will be electing delegates to the next level, but the national convention delegates will be allocated based on those preferences that are recorded on Monday night. And I think something else that's unique to, well, it is unique to this this cycle, and um, I don't know if a lot of our listeners are aware of this, but Sochi and Patrice, can you both sort of tag team here and talk about the different numbers that are going to be reported out of Iowa? You've got the raw vote for the first time this year. Um, and of course, you've got the overall delegates, which is ultimately, I think, what you d- determined to say you won Iowa or you didn't win Iowa. But can you sort of talk about, you know, the realignment numbers, that process, and um, you know, maybe get into a little bit of the thinking behind taking that extra step in terms of putting out a, an extra layer of results. Sure. So in Iowa, uh, you'll go in and you will express your first preference, the first alignment that will be reported and recorded. Um, and then if you are in a non-viable group, meaning a group that doesn't break 15% threshold, you will have the opportunity to align one more time. You can align with a viable group. Maybe you get together with your friends and you t- uh, you combine and turn two non-viable groups into one viable group. Or maybe you uh, align with uncommitted and make that a viable group. After that point, um, you're, you're, the process is completed. What will be reported out on um, caucus night uh, at the, very, the, the precinct level will be that first alignment 
the final alignment and state delegate equivalents. This is how Iowa determines how many delegates go to the next level. Um, we believe that state delegate equivalents are closely um, correlate with national convention delegates. And at the end of the night, after Iowa gets those three data points from every precinct and our satellite caucuses, they will report out the national convention delegate allocation. So um, that's the information that you will see coming out of Iowa. We thought it was important, again, towards making the process more transparent, that uh Reporting out the first alignment was an important data source, not just for voters in Iowa, but voters in uh, future states so that they had a full picture of how candidates fared. Um, but you are absolutely right. The way you get the nomination is to get to 1991. And so from our perspective, that's the number, that is the number that folks should pay attention to is the National Convention Delegate Allocation. The rest of the numbers are, you know, a, just a variety of data points that just help you assess how candidates um you know, performed at various steps in the process. And if you want to know how many people turned out in the caucus, it's always good to look at the first alignment because that's generally the number that in each precinct, how many people showed up, showed up and participated in the process. So that is an important number as well. But as Patrice said, the way that you get the nomination is through delegates. And of course, everyone should be reminded that you have to get as a candidate 15 percent of your the support in your caucus to even qualify for a delegate, yeah. right? So you've got to get 15% in the state. I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize that. I was going to say there are a couple of things that I would flag just for your readers. Number one, we have no winner-take-all systems. Mm -hmm. You have All of our delegates are allocated in proportion to results either at that congressional district level or the statewide level. And then you have to break at least 15% in order to be eligible to be um, allocated delegates. Um, so you know, you have to get that 15%. And that is, those are the individuals that will be eligible to be allocated delegates. Anything else, ladies, that our listeners should know? You should stay tuned. It's going to be a very, very fun night. And are we going to know we by will. like 10 o'clock? You know, who won Iowa, things, or is this going to go on for a long time? Well, the way that things will be reported, and as you mentioned, the, we will report the first alignment, the final alignment, and the state delegate equivalents on a rolling basis. So people will be getting information throughout the night, but you won't know how many national convention delegates each candidate got until the very, very end. And that's because we need to collect all the information in all of the precincts before we put that number out. So let's hope it is not a super late night, but then at the same time, it could be. 2 a.m., 3 a.m., you all might be texting me. We might need to some coffee the next morning yes, um, or yes, even that night. Yes. And um, hopefully we can get some sleep after that. Well, I cannot wait. I'm going to be out there. I know both of you will be out there. Sorry that Michael, our producer, won't be out there. But, you know, he'll be no, there in spirit. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're so excited. Um, congratulations on getting this to this point. I know you guys have been working so hard. And now the real fun begins. So... Um, for the electables, I am signing off for my partner, Doug Thornell, and me. Thank you guys so much for joining, and we will catch you next time.